Well, good afternoon, and uh, thank you for that nice introduction, Sam, and thank you for the uh, warm welcome for both uh, myself and Tulsi. Um, maybe I'll just kick it off with a few comments about uh, my perspective on our caucus and then let Tulsi say a few words and let you drive the conversation. Uh, as Sam mentioned, I'm in my third term uh, in Congress running for my fourth. I feel like I'm uh, an old man now. Uh, and uh, prior to that, I served in the state legislature and prior to that on the school board. And um, what I learned very quickly in all of those uh, forms of service is that uh, anyone who creates themselves an island is not effective. Uh, and that the only way you get anything done, whether it be on local government or in the state legislature, or certainly at the federal level, is working as a team. The reality is, is that uh, oftentimes uh, the power shifts and the power makeup changes, uh, but ultimately relationships that you've established with people within your own party and across the aisles uh, is hopefully what stands the test of time and ultimately allows you to become an effective lawmaker and ultimately get things done for the people you serve. And so uh, when I came to Congress uh, three terms ago, uh, five years ago, I was one of the odd ducks who went to all four of the new member orientations. Uh, because it was my belief that what I needed to do was get to know all the new members of Congress. And so I went to all four of the weekends uh, to get to know the members, their spouse, what issue made them tick, what their background was, because I thought, you know, after I get seated this morning, I'm going to know how I can work these members of Congress. Well, little did I know that two years later, uh, about 40 of those 60 freshmen would be gone. And uh, I then learned the term of why it's not until your second term in office that you're actually a member of Congress. Uh, <laughs> except that my senior colleagues would joke with me, you know, get past your first re-election, then we'll know you're going to stay for a while. Uh, I say that because I learned very quickly that um, the power structure may change. I served in the minority the first two years. Uh, now I'm in the majority. I'm sure that if I'm here long enough, uh, I'll be looking to Tulsi in the majority, and I may be in the minority sometime, but obviously I'm going to do everything I can to make sure we stay in the majority <laughs> for the longest time possible. The point is, is that we've seen just in the last decade uh, both parties control the entire process. Right? I'm a Republican through and through. Tulsi and I will have our differences on, on, on policy from time to time. Uh, Republicans have the House, the Senate, the Presidency. Democrats have the House, the Senate, and the Presidency. And many of these same issues that we continue to talk about, whether it be entitlement reforms uh, that need to happen if we're going to truly change the long-term trajectory on our debt, uh, whether it be things like immigration reform, which undoubtedly are hurting business and industry and families uh, that are affected by it, uh, there's never going to be a perfect situation, regardless of if a particular party controls the entire process, for us to resolve this. The only way those problems are going to get resolved uh, is if we have relationships across the aisle uh, and a willingness and a trust among members to be able to work together on proposals and bring them forward to our respective leaderships uh, for consideration on the floor. Let me tell you, from my perspective as a member in the majority, I have seen where my leaders, my leadership has had a difficulty in being leaders in the standpoint that uh, we have a very divided caucus from time to time. And so oftentimes, the leadership on committees, the leadership that particularly in the leadership structure, are less likely to stick their necks out on a particular proposal if they don't believe that their, their caucus is going to stand with them. And so whether it was the latest uh, Ryan Murray budget deal, whether it was uh, the fiscal cliff deal that was negotiated uh, a year ago, the reality is most of those deals are structured before they see the light of day. Most of those develop 
with one-on-one, two-on-two, three-on-three, and they start to build. And it's my contention that if we're going to see immigration reform happen, for example, it's going to be with a bipartisan proposal that's worked out among 10, 20, 30 members and then brought forward by our respective leadership. Uh, and that's no indictment on any particular leader. I don't care whether it's John Boehner, Eric Cantor, Nancy Pelosi, Steny Hoyer. If one of them trots out their proposal, uh, they're going to get land blasted by either side. And, and my contention, of course, is that had John Boehner walked out with the Murray-Ryan budget deal, it never would have passed. But because they had a consensus among the conference committee members uh, and a good coalition of support behind it, that bill ultimately was able to pass and become law. So. At the, at the heart of what Future Caucus is really about, I think, is establishing those relationships among members who are willing to talk, among members who see the future similarly, and share a frustration with kind of the status quo of worrying about the next crisis for the next three months or six months, and rather say, you know what, let's work on some longer-term solutions. Let's get a, uh, a, a decent number of members behind this consensus position, and then let's go public with those positions and try and rally support and ultimately a vote on them uh, before the Congress. So uh, Tulsi is, is one, of the, um, one of the smartest members of Congress that I work with. She's extremely hardworking. She's a lot of fun. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not bashful about trying to have some fun in this job. <laughs> because, you know, when you're dressed up in a suit and tie seven days a week, and you got to go to breakfast, lunch, and dinners, and you got to be around 435 members who aren't always fun, when you find one who is, and that's smart and hardworking, you're like, okay, we need to work together. So uh, we kind of hit it off uh, first in the gym, getting to know each other. And... Uh, and uh, develop a friendship and recognize that there were other people within our respective caucuses who thought uh, and had views similar to us and, and built the organization from there. So I'm looking forward to working with her hopefully for a long time and uh, hopefully if someday I have to serve in the minority, at least I've got a friend in the majority. So <laughs> that uh, Tulsi Gabbard. So I'm going to try to keep this very, very brief. I know Aaron's got to leave in a couple of minutes, and uh, I'm going to be able to stay around for a few minutes more. Um, first of all, thank you, Sam, for opening this up, for your kind introduction, and for opening this up with aloha. It's very appropriate. And for Jim, starting us off with Hawaii's weather report. Uh, I feel very much at home. And after you listed your speakers coming uh, in the next several meetings, I feel very special as a Democrat to be invited to come and address this group. Uh, sincerely, I mean that. Um, everything that Aaron said I agree with. Uh, what I would just say very briefly before we open this up for questions is that for us, we envision the Future Caucus as more than just another bipartisan group. Obviously, uh, in order to get results, we have to work together. I think from a generational perspective, this is what we bring to the table and this is the approach that we're taking. Uh, and why this is the Future Caucus is, is because we are driven by results, and we understand that we uh, have different principles, we uh, have perhaps different values or guidelines that we approach the major challenges that we see in our country, but we understand that we have a diverse country that has a diverse set of viewpoints that is reflected here in Congress, and the only way that we can get those results is really being able to have an honest, candid conversation and partnership that is based sincerely on respect uh, for each other and knowing that we each have something to gain from each other. 
And what we would like to do is not just focus on how we fix the pothole of the day or put the band-aid on the issue that's getting the headlines today, but really look deeper and saying how can we approach these issues in a way that will affect the next generation. Uh, I've not been here as long as Aaron. I learn a lot from him, uh, being far senior to myself. Not, I'm, not, I'm trying to be complimentary. <laughs> um, but you know, one thing that I've noticed over the last year that I've been here is many of the policies that we're working on and the reauthorizations are things uh, and pieces of legislation that were really originally written in the 40s, 50s, 60s, a time when we had leaders in our country who were setting a vision for a generation. And we're still working on that. But things have changed. We've got a 21st century economy with a lot of opportunity and innovation that's occurring a lot in the private sector. And we, in government, need to not only catch up, but really take a leadership role in setting the agenda for the next generation that will come after us. So I'll leave it at that. And uh, maybe we can get one or two questions before you got to run. Are you policy driven or process driven? In other words, uh, are you going to pick out a couple of issues and show and try and develop a, a consensus around that, or are you going to, whatever the issue is, try and show what the, the process would be to reach some kind of consensus? Uh, does that make any sense? See yourself more process or more policy? I, I think we're we're right now working on uh, the, the policy, and so what are the areas where we think that we can get you know, 30, 40 members behind uh, some proposals. Obviously, uh, our first proposal is not going to be to fix Medicare. <laughs> but, 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 you know, where are some areas that um, are more low-hanging fruit, some balls that we can get through the hoop, um, and, and that's where our focus really has been. Because we believe that with the right policies, uh, we can develop that process. Once 30 or 4 members bring something forward, the leadership takes it seriously, the ball goes or hoop and we get a win or at least a score on the board, you can then bring a little bit uh, weightier issues, I guess, forward. Right, because that builds credibility for us uh, in our effort and what we're trying to do, the caucus that we've created by, uh, and, and we're not just taking, you know, kind of the easy stuff, but really looking at what is achievable uh, with the dynamics that exist today that will make a meaningful difference, focusing, I think, initially on economic growth and the opportunity that exists there. And that builds the credibility and the relationships and the respect amongst, amongst the broader group of members to be able to tackle those bigger, more challenging issues. Technology, for example, is one area where uh, our government lags behind in how we, you know, approve a number of agencies, for example, that oversee the, the creation of apps that are on your phone. And clearly the people who are in charge of the technology industry in our country tend to look more like Pulse and I. And they don't really know who to talk to on Capitol Hill. They don't have those relationships. Many of them are beginning to set up their federal affairs offices. Um, but I would argue who better to champion their issues than the members of Congress, uh, the 40 of us under the age of 40. So that doesn't mean that Sorry, that's active outreach that we're doing as well, that this is not only a platform for members to get together who are of like mind, who actually want to get things done, but we've already started to reach out and not sit here and wait for people to pick up the phone and call us, but actually go to the innovation hubs, go to these technology hubs where all of these exciting things are happening, uh, 
and see what we can learn from them about the real challenges and roadblocks that they hit that maybe sometimes they're like, okay, well, there's a roadblock, we'll just have to figure out a way around it. But ideally, we'd like to be able to take those lessons learned, fix the problem so that we can open the doors for more opportunity for others. Yes, ladies well, first. Ann Panfield, Panfield's associate. In the area of technology, one of the, technology does have the prospect of potentially saving a lot in the healthcare area and in the, for Medicare and Medicaid programs. And last October, FDA came out with a report recognizing this, saying that uh, customized medications can, has potential to reduce costs significantly because of the fact that you won't have the bad drug interreactions among the patients. Yet CMS is now reducing reimbursements for the firms that, you know, basically have developed the technology, the biotech firms that. Uh, allow you know, the customization of medicine. And so it seems like you know, the one hand of the government is saying, oh my gosh, this is a great thing, and this is the future. And on the other hand, they're saying, oh, you know, we're, it's a very old view of it, and let's just cut reimbursements, you know, it, it, but it might be cutting their nose off to spite their face. It, you know, for a, your, your new caucus, this might be something that might be really worthwhile to get into. Thank you. Uh, veterans and military health care has always been at the vanguard and teaching the next generation of the medical community. It's always been a complementary actions between the not-for-profit groups in the medical community and VA and military health care. That is breaking down much because there is not this technology integration into military health care. And if there was one issue that you might want to consider is to bring in those tech companies that unfortunately, the new ones, are being basically shut out by the guys that have been there for 30, 40 years. And it's making it incredibly difficult for the not-for-profit community to try and integrate and help with military health care because quite honestly, they've spent the money they're way ahead on the tech side. They have absolutely no integration left with VA or the military health care because of this technology schism. So if there's an issue, that might, you might want to get the tech companies who can help you perform it so that the not-for-profits and the military side for health care can get back on some level of communication. Thank you. One last question for Eric because his staff is going to go. So you've heard some great ideas. Thank you for the initiative. How can we in the business community help continue to promote your effort here? Wow, that's a good question. You know, I think um, two things. One, bring us thoughtful ideas that, that make sense that are kind of, I mean, the first ones we're looking for are common sense ideas that everybody says, duh, uh, but are, that, are, that aren't, you know, the, the, the the fire that's got to get put out tomorrow so it's not getting the attention that maybe it deserves. And then the second is um, to support, hopefully, those proposals once they're brought forward and encourage other members to be willing to stick their neck out. Um, obviously, one of the challenges we have is that it's easier to sit on your hands and it's easier to vote no and to say nothing than it is to be a part of pushing something forward. And whether it's on those bigger issues, as I mentioned, immigration reform or entitlement reforms, those things are going to have to happen. And in order for them to happen, members have to be willing 
to, to say what they're for and to stick their neck out somewhat. And it's going to require many of the people in this room, business leaders in this room, the industry advocates in this room to say, you know what, those members that are willing to be leaders, we're going to support. Because it does make a difference when your voice is heard. Uh, obviously, the, the folks that you represent, regardless of your industry, I mean, you are speaking for jobs and working people and opportunity in communities all across the country and in so many different sectors. And when you make your voice heard uh, and your interest and who we are collectively trying to serve and make a positive impact on, it does impact our colleagues. Also, you, you said you could stay for a few minutes. I, I will be able to stay yeah, for five minutes or something. Thank you all. Be nice to her. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. If you ever go into his office, you understand why we gave him the Teddy Roosevelt book. Please. Uh, other questions for the council? Can you explain how your financial sort of structure really work? So, you know, so much of the House representatives is much more than the Senate Looking at the people both who have already joined our caucus as well as those who uh, are looking to join us, uh, you know, I think each of us looks to uh, the different areas that, whether we're on different committees uh, or have different interest areas, to be able to kind of find the subject matter expert who's the best maybe point person to take a lead on a specific issue. Uh, right now, because we're just kicking off, Aaron and I are taking a lead on kind of coming up with our first uh, package or, or first kind of proposal ideas uh, and then figuring out the strategy to be able to get that accomplished. Um, you know, what we found over what happened last fall over the shutdown and all of the things that have transpired since uh, is really that there is a lot of uh, power that has not yet been tapped in a big way in um, the pragmatic middle ground. Uh, I think people sometimes mischaracterize those as so-called moderates from each party. But what we saw through the government shutdown period when everyone was forced to be here, and many of us took the opportunity to spend time together and have dinner and actually talk very candidly with each other and honestly about this is unacceptable and we need to do something about it. The positive that came from that horrible experience for everybody really was uh, people getting to know each other and you have people on far ends of, of the ideological spectrum but very pragmatic saying we got to be practical in our approach to these issues and let's figure out how we forge a, a way forward uh, and so I think that's where uh, not only the numbers of our caucus but really of like-minded people uh, who are interested in getting results that we have the ability to create uh, some pressure uh, within our respective uh, leadership posts, whether it be committee leaders or leaders of our caucuses, to say this is an issue that you've got a majority of bipartisan support on and we need to make it happen. But to your question, Mary, this is where creating that external pressure is so helpful so that it's not just coming internally from Congress, but actually looking at how this benefits many different sectors of our economy. Anything else? Who on your staff kind of coordinates this for you that we brought an idea or have uh, I would point you to my chief of staff, Jessica Vandenberg, who Jim has worked with very well. She's just needs to be cloned. 
<laughs> that would be great. I'd appreciate that. If anyone has that going on, let me know. <laughs> I uh, know Aaron said 40 members under the age of 40. And so, you know, Aaron and I have had a little, little bit of back and forth about, you know, we started this saying, okay, well, this is, can be a group of kind of people under 40 because we're really looking at uh, a couple of things of how we impact the next generation. As, as Jim talked about, from a generational perspective, I think we approach things a little bit differently. Um, and then Aaron said, well, you know, we have a graying Congress, and I'm like, Aaron, I have a lot of gray hair. You can't say that anymore. <laughs> yeah, we right, exactly. And we're going to hit for it. Exactly. And we can't put ourselves out. But, you know, we've got some folks who are, um, so it, it's really more, you know, what, what leadership style and approach do people want to take in really making the most of our time here? Uh, and that's what I appreciate about the freshman class that many of you have worked with that came in in 2012 um, that I found is that this is a group of people who uh, are not taking any day for granted and saying, yeah, well, you know, maybe I can start getting stuff done in my fifth term, but saying, you know, none of us know how long we will have the privilege of serving here. So there's a sense of urgency uh, in starting to try to get those results. That's where the relationships are made, and that's kind of a neat thing about this group. I mean, I think we all can speak for our conferences and meetings and sessions like this. It's where you, you create those relationships. That's right. So, I'll give you an example. Thank you. Yeah, Thank no, you. I know. I mean, I'm a big fan of bipartisanship. Yes. Uh, just um, two days ago, I worked with uh, Rodney Davis uh, from Illinois on a bill called Hire More Heroes. And when you can take away kind of the partisan rhetoric that tends to muddy the waters so much for people, both here and, and outside, uh, you can actually get to the point of saying, well, hey, how do, we, how do we fix some things that need to be fixed? And basically, for me, it was a no-brainer to support his effort uh, in making it so that the, the, with the Affordable Care Act, the small business count of 50 employees, uh, that if you hire veterans who are covered by the VA or by TRICARE, should not count towards your 50 employee limit because you're not responsible for, for providing their health care under any scenario. So it's stuff like that that we've seen and we've heard from small business owners that's very practical uh, that you know we were able to pass it in the House with a uh, vast majority. I think we only had a couple of people who voted no. Uh, so it's that kind of stuff that, that um, you know, is, is, needs to happen more. One last question for Tulsi. Well, this has been great. We, first and foremost, we would love to have you both back at a later point once you guys really get your feet on the, on the ground and you really are full force. And let us know some of the things that you are doing. So on behalf of this fine group, Smithsonian's newest book on the history of America and 101 Objects. With our thanks, we thought this would go nice in your outer office. And thank you so much for making the time. And for your work.